Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, and today's podcast is Merchants and Memories of Main Street Windsor, The Untold Stories. So Main Street was like, it was like just alive. It was vibrant because it, it had all of these lovely cars and lots of people and the sweet little cozy chat and and like, you know, the smell of the uh, French fries and it was just bustled and vibrant. <laughs> As Yvonne Courtney describes, Main Street in Windsor was teeming with activities in the 1940s, 50s and 60s. There were chip vans, department stores, soda shops, and of course, the train station. This episode brings together audio clips from interviews completed for the Main Street Project in September 2016. People remembered the lively street where folks from Grand Falls and Windsor and all over central Newfoundland would stop, shop, eat, and catch a train. Main Street was a center for both towns because of the train. The railway station um, was a sort of a central point of meeting at least once or twice a day when the trains came in. The merchants were smart because, I don't know if you know the area well, but the Main Street, next to Main Street up, is a street called Bond Street. And that was set up for the merchants to have their storefronts on Bond Street with their backs to the station. But they were smart and they said, look, if all of these passengers are coming on train and our business is coming on train, why are we going to put our backs there? Why not put our fronts there? So Main Street became a street with all of the storefronts facing the trains and the train station. Uh, everything everything happened there. When the passengers came there, they were usually there for 20 minutes to an hour. So they went across to the various establishments, especially the, the food establishments that were there. There were a couple of chip vans, and they were called chip vans in those days. And there was two or three Chinese restaurants. Again, retail stores that were there at the time. As discussed by Roy Olford, the train station was the main reason for the establishment of businesses on Main Street. The train, and particularly the girls who rode the train, were the main attraction of Main Street for Frank Beeson. Going to Main Street, I think the biggest thing was the train station. People coming in there. You, you'd get there and you'd watch the people, people going on and see who you knew, who you didn't. You know, any, any young girls got off the train, because we were young at the time, you know. And there was a couple of the stores at these little alcoves. If it was misty or rainy, you could get in those little alcoves and you'd stay and you'd stay dry, you know. But that, that was the biggest thing. And uh, Main Street was very busy because you did have quite a number of stores there. You had grocery stores, clothing stores, but the train station, well, to me it was anyway. Due to the town of Grand Falls, the A&D company, and the working mill, Grand Falls Station on Main Street was a popular train stop for workers and train travelers. This meant services such as grocery stores, food establishments, dry goods stores, a post office, were all needed on Main Street. The street developed and responded to this need with stores such as Stewart's, Riff's, Cohen's, Brown Derby, and the Cozy Chat. Main Street also responded to the need of entertainment in the towns of Windsor and Grand Falls, first through the King Edward Theatre and then the Vogue Theatre, as well as a series of pool halls. Several people noted that the pool halls were rough spots where fights broke out and queues were broken. Listen as Roy recounts a bit of the atmosphere in this clip. Coming down Main Street, in my time, there was a massive pool hall, which was one thing that we, we really had a lot of. And the pool hall was, um, it was a typical pool hall that you see in the Bari or 
somewhere in New York City, downtown in Manhattan somewhere. It was rough. There were lots of fights. There were a couple of billiard tables and about eight or nine pool tables, eight ball we call them today. And as kids, we weren't really allowed in there, but we snuck in because the game was so interesting. And we learned to play pool, and uh, a lot of people played it very, very well. They were really good. Corey Sharp, on the other hand, remembers Stroud's pool hall in the 1980s and recalls the jukeboxes and pinball machines, as well as the pool tables. Another place in our teenage years that we would hang out would be Stroud's pool hall, which was a super cool place when you were a teenager back in the mid-late 80s huge jukebox and all the greatest tunes and the place was jammed and they wouldn't close until the last person left and, and I can remember uh, I can remember one Christmas day it was even open <laughs> so we were a, a diehard crew <laughs> <laughs> and so were you a pool player yourself yeah yeah we play pool and pinball and when the video machines first came in we play some of those and play the tunes on the jukebox and it was deafening loud which I loved back then it was pretty cool listen to Van Halen while you're playing pool or pinball <laughs> one of the major scents of Main Street was the smell of the chips wafting from the chip vans in this clip Yvonne Courtney describes walking down Main Street as a child and being greeted by the smell as you're walking down Main Street and you're heading towards Stewart's there's this fantastic smell that's coming at you all the way down the street. It's like, oh my dear God, I want some of those chips. <laughs> it was French fries. And the smell of French fries was just wafting down Main Street as you're walking towards it. And of course, you're not going to ask for those things as a child because like, you knew better. You just didn't ask for those things, right? But sometimes my dad, if I was walking with him alone, mom was gone on with the girls, with the carriage, whatever, my dad would stop at the, at the chip van. <laughs> chip van was semicircular in shape. I, I don't remember what kind of material it was made out of, but it wasn't wood. It seemed to me to be made out of a metal, okay? And the man who was inside was a, a big plump man. Well, to me as a child, he was a big, big plump man. John Connors explains how there were two chip vans, so you'd walk back and forth between the two and choose which chips to buy that evening. When you're walking in the evening back Port Main Street, there was two chip vans had to decide which ones had the best chips, right? And there was a fellow called A.B. Land. It was related to the cones, I think. He had a little chip fan there. And he used to have these crinkle chips, right? And whatever, however, we had a cutter or something that used to make crinkle chips. I used to love to get a plate of chips every now and then, right? Another common sight while walking Main Street were the buses. These so-called buses were cars which were used to bring shoppers from Main Street in Windsor to High Street in Grand Falls, and vice versa. Boyd Cohen's father, Mike, first started running buses in the 1930s between Cohen's and High Street in order to increase his business profit. That was an idea that my father had. People had to go from Grand Falls to Windsor. There weren't very many cars in town in those days, so they had to go out on a, on a bus and pay for it. So my father said, we'll have a bus Anyone wants to use it can pay for it, but if they make a purchase at Combs, it will be free. Oh, really? That was yeah. a, his promotion. That was 28 until until uh, I would say mid-30s. They made it after that, their cars came in the Grand Falls. That's right. These buses were not just for commercial use. Often, when the bus driver was done, they would remove the sign and the car would become the family vehicle. 
Roy describes using a family vehicle as a taxi to make some money for a night out. I'll tell you a story that I shouldn't tell you, but um, a buddy of mine, his father, ran a bus. And of course, when you finished your business during the day, you took your sign off the bus and placed it in the vehicle until next day and used it as a, a family car. I imagine they had to have insurance, but special insurance, but I don't know. At any rate, this night we were, he picked me up to go wherever. We had no money, not a jingle. So we saw these people in Grand Falls who were lined up waiting for a bus. So he said, let's go up here. Stuck the bus sign up, come down, picked them up. 25 cents each, made a dollar and a quarter. And it was our night. It was, <laughs> we got the bus sign off and I don't think his father ever knew it to this day. But we, we get a kick out of it. Every time we get together now, we get a kick out of that one because it was something that was silly, but uh, worked out pretty well for us anyway. Right? One of the best places around town to spend 25 cents would be the Vogue Theatre, or Father Meany's Theatre in Windsor. If you were lucky enough to have 50 cents, you could go to Father Meany's at 2 p.m. and make it back to the Vogue Theatre for 5 p.m. and be able to catch two movies in one day. There was actually there was two theatres. One was Father Meany had a theatre. That was just to be. The, it was in the back of the school, and the Vogue Theatre was ran by Mr. Jim Basha. I remember going there, and you had to both sides, and up the middle there were seats, and you had to up stop, up top. You could go up there, and you could have the smoke. If you, if you know, if the crowd that were old enough to smoke, yeah, you go to the theater, and, and well, matter of fact, you'd go to the theater, you get a bar, a bag of chips, a bottle of drink, and you get into the, into the theater for a quarter. You know, I remember that, and you had the little uh, little booth there. You just get your ticket there, and then you had the drink machine where you put in the money and you haul your drink down through the slot and hauled up to <laughs> It was different, you know, it was a lot of changes. As Frank Beeson mentions, the Vogue Theatre was run by Mr. Jim Basha while Mrs. Basha ran the cozy chat. Mom and Dad would take us in there to get a uh, soda or a banana split or something like that. And that was going to be a big expense in these days. We didn't realize that. We just knew that after seven, eight years asking to go in there, we're going in. <laughs> There was a big window on the front. When I walked in, uh, it was the most amazing place I had seen as a child because it looked like things I had seen in a magazine. Uh, There was lots of red and lots of black and a big long counter. And the counter had round stools and the stools were like on funnel-shaped bases. And there was a huge mirror on the back on this side. And at that counter here, there were the draw handles, and I didn't understand the draw handles. I just knew they were shiny and they were beautiful. And of course, you're sitting in the booths, all the booths were on this side, and they were like cush, um, red and black, and you're sitting in the booths, and I would be watching as they would, they, they would go order, and they would pull these things and make sodas for us. And it would be a little silver cup type thing, silver, funnel shape, and a little stem, very cute. And then they would put this white, um, little white cup in there. It was triangular again, went down into the little silver stand. And then they go like that. You'd hear the sound of the swooshing of the soda. They'd probably plop ice cream in there. I'm not certain what went in there. I just remember the sound and the look of it. And then they'd plop a straw onto the top. So that's what would come to the table. And if you ordered a banana split, wow, you got a banana split. (laughs) Well, you know what a banana split looks like. Well, it looked like that. Half of the banana on either side of a boat-shaped glass dish, 
and then there'll be three little scoops of ice cream with cherries on top and then uh, cream on the top of that. It was just absolutely beautiful. I've never seen like anything like that in my life. So the cozy chat was like uh, absolutely something out of a Norman Rockwell print. It was beautiful. Yvonne has a vivid memory of the chat, which was run by the Basha family. Both the Bashas and the Bolases, who ran a shoe store on Main Street, were from Lebanon. There were just two of the immigrant families who established shops on Main Street. John Connors and Corey Sharp both described the multiculturalism found on the street. There was uh, a lot of uh, different, uh, like uh, Lebanese people, owned businesses on Main Street, Jewish people owned businesses on Main Street. P.F. Kearney, uh, Pat Kearney came from Ireland. He used to have this Irish accent, we used to enjoy listening to him, right? Loved Irish whiskey. And uh, Chinese, you know, so uh, they were all accepted into the community of Windsor. But the A&D Company didn't have, wouldn't open their doors for any of these people, right? And uh, like all teens, they, they, they started out in the town of Windsor. They moved in Grandpa's after it. And uh, a shoe store there, Sai Bolas, he was uh, Lebanese. The Bashas, Lebanese. They all had businesses there for years and years, right? They had a restaurant there called the Cozy Chet. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, different uh, uh, ethnic groups, right? The, lived in the town of Windsor because of that reason they couldn't get in, couldn't establish in the town of Grand Falls, right? That all changed, I think, in the uh, 1960s or something like that. So I, w I would like for Main Street to be, be remembered as the as the little little melting pot of cultures, right? Yeah. For a place in the interior of Newfoundland, a hundred years ago, it was like a little Montreal. As mentioned by John Connors, Grand Falls was a closed town. His own father applied to open a beverage company in Grand Falls, but was unsuccessful in his application. Gerald Connors went on to open Brown Derby Restaurant, which transformed into Brown Derby Wholesale, which is still an active company in Grand Falls, Windsor, in 2017. Grand Falls' status as a closed town meant that in order to establish a business in the town, you had to be approved or invited by the A&D company to set up shop in Grand Falls. This was repeated by many people and many times over as one of the main reasons for the diverse community that developed on Main Street in Windsor. Another immigrant who set up shop on Main Street was Herman Munch, who moved to Canada from Germany after the Second World War with his wife Gabriel, who was from France. After the war, they decided that, um, was that they wanted to start off in a country that wasn't his, that wasn't hers. They just wanted to start off new in a new country. My mother had an aunt who was a nun who taught in Quebec. And so she managed to get a sponsor for them to come to Canada. It was an idea that was brought up to them. They said yes. So then they came to Canada, I believe it was in 1951. They took the boat over through Halifax and went through Pierre and um, <clears throat> went on to Quebec uh, to be with the family. Uh, Dad at the time, he was a shoemaker by trade. And um, unless there was, I think, a, a profession specifically for his trade, they pretty much took the immigrants and put them where the work was most needed. So Dad, <laughs> I think, initially went to work at a logging firm, I believe, in Quebec. He's got some stories about a logging firm, a concrete factory. 
Um, but after about seven or eight months, there was a guy from Grand Falls by the name of Joe Byrne. Most people from Grand Falls would know him. He either had or wanted to open a sporting shop. And I believe it was said, you can open a sporting shop, but it would be great if we could get a shoeing. So Joe Byrne was from Quebec, so he put an ad in the paper there. It was picked up either by mom or the sponsor family and said, look, here's, uh, you know, an opportunity for you to work in your trade. And Joe Byrne, uh, he responded. Joe Byrne came to Quebec, interviewed dad, and brought him to his shop so he could see how his work was and hired him. So then they came to Newfoundland. So that would have been my older sister, Bridget, my brother Mike, who was born in Germany, and I believe Mom was pregnant with the third, my brother James. And um, so they came by train, and um, that would have been in 52. As Herman and Gabriel's daughter, Elizabeth Munchpower, explained, the family moved to Grand Falls, Windsor in 1952. Herman set up his shoe shop on Main Street in Windsor, following his work with Joe Byrne in Grand Falls. Like Mr. Munch, Ernst Becker moved to Newfoundland from Germany. In this clip, his wife, Dolores Becker, describes how he ended up in Grand Falls, Windsor. So anyway, Ernst was born in 1924, mm-hmm. and uh, he got his master's in watchmaking, and he uh, worked in Germany for a while, and um, he saw I think he was the youngest of four, and four, four boys in his family. And he thought, now I think I'll put my ad in the Swiss watchmaker's journal and I'm available as a watchmaker and I like, like, like to move around. So he had replies from 13 countries and one was Ireland and the furthest away was from Cornerbrook in Newfoundland. Never knew where Newfoundland was, never had a clue. So they, um, he said, well, I'm going to go over there and try it. And I had already been Germans over there at the opening cement plant. So uh, okay. he never, didn't know a word of English. So he went there and uh, he got his buddy, who's still working in St. John's, I think the O'Hanlon was watchmaker too. He said, come over, there's jobs over here. So uh, he came over after, and after uh, Broadway burnt out in Cornerbrook, big fire in Broadway, they all went to London, Ontario, where they had a few buddies up there that they knew. And Irm was after and kind of hooked on Newfoundland, and he said, I'll go back to Newfoundland. <laughs> so he came here, and um, he got a job with Altines in uh, Cornerbrook, and then he got transferred from Cornerbrook over here to Altines. And uh, then he decided that uh, somehow or other he got working with R- Mr. Riff in Windsor, on Main Street in Windsor. He had a very big clothing store, and mm-hmm. up in the corner was a little tiny jewelry department. So Erwin uh, went there, and uh, there wasn't much business him to be doing a Mr. Riff side, that's kind of, you know, not apparently worth having there. So, so encourage them to go, maybe go and go on your own somewhere. So um, he did, he, uh, he rented a little place further up the street, and it was just an old Barney place. <laughs> and uh, and anyways, big drafty old place, the kids were right tiny then. And Mr. Stewart, George Stewart, who's up on the end with the big grocery, we'd go to George for the groceries. So George used to come down, he could come down and visit her and he stopped her and couldn't leave because he's the only one there. And George said one day, just a little tiny spot next to my store, he said, you don't need to be in this drafty old place, why don't you come up here? And it was 8 by 32. <laughs> so he went up and looked into it and Mrs. Um, Bashaw was in the cozy chat next door. 
she owned that bit of land, George owned a little bit. So she got land from um, Mrs. Bash and he built this little 8 by 32 shop. <laughs> Described as the smallest shop in Newfoundland, it was the size of Becker's shop which stands out the most in the memory of those in Grand Falls and Windsor. Becker had the smallest store in Newfoundland, I think. It was about, uh, it was a jewelry store, it was about uh, one and a half times the size of this office. So uh, he met you at the door as you came in. This was, <laughs> but he uh, he was there for he was a German actually who moved here after the war and uh, got married to a local girl, set up a, a jewelry business. As Mrs. Becker mentioned, George Stewart was a local business owner, but was also a very generous community member. He helped Ernst Becker find a suitable location for his shoe shop and was also noted by Elizabeth Munch Power as being a great help to her family. Several people noted the sense of camaraderie found among the business owners on Main Street. The relationship between a lot of the business people on Main Street was great. They helped each other out, you know. They, they really did. Stewart, Mr. Stewart helped Mom and Dad out a lot. He was a very uh, he was a very sort of quiet man unto himself, but boy, he was he could be a really kind man, a really kind man, and his wife was very kind as well. So mom and dad and and Mr. Miss Stewart also developed a good friendship. Aside from his generosity, George Stewart was also known for his classic grocery store. The business, which was started in a canvas tent by his father, was one of the first businesses on Main Street. I used to go see George from time to time and he'd tell me some stories and I'd have a few questions for him. And I know the early, early beginnings of Stewart's, uh, they were set up, they were one of the, his father, Colin, was one of the first uh, people to set up on Main Street and he actually set up in a canvas tent and he would cater to the trains and the early workers. So uh, I know uh, from a picture, the, the sign on the on the tent said uh, Stewart's home of good drinks so he would have mugs hung up inside and I think his wife uh, Bertha would be working there and the people would come over from the trains they would get tobacco pipes uh, snack or whatever and he'd he'd serve them or she would serve them mugs of whatever drink so up hanging on canvas signs overhead from the counter would be all the drinks and the prices and, and whatnot. So that was the humble beginnings of Stewart's. Stewart's operated for a hundred years with two owners. So Colin Stewart and his son took it over in the late 40s, George did. And George said that he, Stewart's, was the first self-serve grocery store in Newfoundland, according to him. And that means getting your own groceries, do you know? Yeah, like where you could go in and not walk up to the counter and, and give the clerk your order. I guess, yeah, you could go around and pick up what you wanted. And he had a little advantage there that uh, he would bring it in. He used to order stuff by the, by the carload, the train carload. So I guess he would get a deal on stuff and he'd order in a full carload of whatever. He had a pretty good setup there and he uh, was quite successful. Also had a delivery service, which was a plus. As Corey described, George was known for purchasing in bulk and offered good prices. In this clip, Brian Reed notes the first place his mother would stop was the sales section of Stewart's. The store, it was uh, really noisy. The cash registers and people were milling around. And you went in and you went up and the first stop was they had a sale aisle. 
So they had everything in boxes put out for that was the stuff that was on sale. It was all in one spot. So that's the first place you went to see what was on sale. Then you went over and they had wooden barrels full of salt meat, uh, salt riblets, and fat back pork. And I remember my mom going there and the man had come there with a apron on and he had a big metal hook and he shoved it down in the barrel and hauled up. Mom said, no, 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 that's too fat, too fat. So he throwed that one down and he dig around in the bottom and haul up another one until he got a bit of salt meat that, that mom liked. So he wrapped it up in brown paper and wrote and weighed it and wrote on the with a marker what it was, what the price was. So then she went to the to the the meat counter where all these ladies were working inside, and wanted to come over and mom would say she want two pound of bologna. Same thing, she go and cut it off and wrap it in brown paper, and and then she had two or three pork chops or whatever she was getting, and and then you go up to the checkout and I used to love, especially when you had to change up money. They had a little. I don't know what you call it. It was on a wire, like a, uh, a little cup. So if you're paying by check, you put the check in a little cup, and they haul on the string, and it would shoot up to the office, and someone would change it, put the money in, and shoot it back. I used to love going. I used to walk around the store with my head up, looking at the thing going back and forth all the time, right? The other two major stores on Main Street were the department stores, Cohen's and Riff's. Both stores were owned and operated by Jewish merchants who immigrated to Newfoundland and open businesses. Boyd Cohen's mother came to Newfoundland from Poland with her sister in 1926, while his father's father, Simon Cohen, immigrated to England from Ukraine in the 1890s before moving to Newfoundland in the early 1900s. Cohen's store was established by Simon and his eldest son, Charles. There were five brothers who worked in the family business throughout the years. After the death of Boyd's father, Mike, it was mainly his uncle, Jack, and his Aunt Norma, who were running the business. The pair were then joined in business by Boyd Cohen after his first year of university. Started in the furniture business, and that was uh, right after the Second World War, uh, just before Confederation. And we were doing okay. When Confederation happened, all the Newfoundland war vets were given the same treatment as the Canadian war vets, and they all got these allowances for furnishing and homes and then the Canadian government came out with allowances according to the time you served for furniture and nobody knew how to apply for the allowances so I phoned St. John's uh, Veterans, uh, Veterans Affairs or whatever it was in those days and uh, I don't even remember who I was talking to and they said why don't you come out to St. John's and we'll show you what to do I got on the train 13 hours later, I was learning the ropes. So we were the only ones for maybe three years who could do it. And that's how I got an interest in the furniture business. We had uh, 13 stores open and three new ones ready to go. And when I ran the company, yeah, it got up to uh, over 20. As Boyd explained, he initiated expanding the business from a dry goods store into a furniture business. When he sold Cohen's furniture in 1985, he continued on as manager-director until his retirement in 1994. Although he's in his mid-80s, Boyd continues to head to work every day. James, or Jim Riff, arrived in Newfoundland sometime in the late 1930s and started off as a traveling salesman selling various items in the communities of Millertown and Buckins 
before establishing a store on Main Street in Windsor in the 1940s. This initial dry goods store was called the Windsor Style Shop before being renamed and expanded as Riffs. Through the years, Riffs expanded into clothing and furniture and also across the province, especially in rural areas. Riffs can still be seen around the island today. Mary Kelly, whose aunt worked at Riffs, describes her memories of stepping inside the store. They were fabulous owners. Because all I can say is good stuff about the Riff family and how they ran the business. Whether it was the father who started, or Don Riff, when he took over when his father died. They were fabulous people to work for. And store, what Oh my God. Well, you went in the front door, and um, the, upstairs, the offices were upstairs. And when you went in, the men's department was on the left, and the women's department was on the right. And originally, when I was a kid, they had a lunch counter upstairs. You could also go and get a lunch at Riff's. And they also had Christmas. When they'd bring in their Christmas stuff, it would be upstairs. And that was the thrill of going in around Christmas time. It's going up into like this winter wonderland. It's up through the middle of the store. It was like your sundry items, all your miscellaneous. But uh, no, it was a huge store. And when you're a little kid, it seems twice as huge. Sure. Right? It's massive yeah. when you're a little kid looking at it. But it was always a thrill to go there because there's all so much stuff to look at. The thrill of heading to Main Street in Windsor is what we had hoped to capture through this project. If you want to learn more about Windsor, you can head to Memorial University's digital archives where you can listen to the full interviews, or you can read through the booklet, A Little Montreal, Merchants and Memories of Main Street in Windsor. I'm Tara Barrett. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Andrea McGuire. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.